want to get a sound check before we actually start going to make sure that the levels are right, since this is not our normal configuration. Mm-hmm. We're going to say something. Check, check, one, two, go fuck yourself. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Alien Familiar RPG Podcast. I am Clayton. KD. I'm Jordan. Before we get started, I just want to remind our listeners that you can find show notes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash alienfamiliar, and I've got a Discord channel. My Discord is DM Scorpio. And today, with this smaller-than-usual group, we are going to be discussing how a person can become a better game master. And um, after we've talked in general about how a person can be a better game master, we're going to be talking about how I, as a as an individual, can become a better game master. And I just want to start off by saying that game mastering, like everything else, experience is what you need. And as Stephen Wright said, experience is something that you don't get until just after you needed it. Really, to be a good game master or t- or to improve as a game master, it's just a matter of being in that chair and running games, being exposed to it. Nobody gets better at something just not doing it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Like, if your first time out maybe doesn't go what you the way you expected, or if you feel like you messed up something, I wouldn't let that get you down, because the only way you're going to improve from those things is if you kind of keep at it you know the whole practice makes perfect yeah we're never going to be perfect obviously but like practice definitely helps you improve and i think that especially when it comes to running games uh the more types of games you run uh will also sort of just give you a more broader breadth of experience it'll help yeah and there's not really much that's like it that you can bring to the table as you know analogous experience there's bits of things you know if you've written stories or watch a lot of movies or you know even if you manage people or you know facilitated meetings or you know things like that run board games whatever it's all those are like pieces of what you need but putting it all together as one big conglomeration that is running a game i can't think of anything else in normal life that is exactly that at all yeah and Katie, what you said was like, if you if you have a bad experience, you're going to have bad experiences, Absolutely. especially mm-hmm. at the beginning. You've got to be willing to stick with it for those terrible games. I mean, you may be incredibly lucky. I was not in that the first several games you play run really well, but sooner or later, you're going to have a shit game. Mm-hmm. And those are the types of games where you actually learn more about how you can improve. I've been at this for like 18 or 19 years now, and my most recent shit game was just a couple months ago. Really? <laughs> yeah. The the Fate Accelerated game where I came and oh, I, God, was, I was just completely checked out. Was that like, Earth? No, that well that that also is a <laughs> that was one a contributing factor. Games, <laughs> but the the game where um it didn't actually it got recorded but didn't get released of Everybody was superheroes. Everybody had... This is how checked out I was. I don't even remember the details of the game. I think I vaguely remember this. I wasn't here for it, Jordan. I remember you texted me out of the blue something like, I'm a wizard at Taco Bell. And I was just like, what? 
Uh, and you're like, yeah, I'm in a fever dream right now. <laughs> yes, that that was the entire session. It was a, fav- a fever dream that I barely remember. I'd had a shitty day that day at work, and I came here. I was me- I was already mentally exhausted. I didn't have anything in me, so I just basically let the players run rampant, and Uh-oh. it was a bunch of players who you do not allow to run rampant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, my my sort of history with that was uh, the first game I ever ran was a sort of huge, wild success, better than I could have ever anticipated, and then after that, I sort of hit a slump. I guess uh, I was kind of a one-hit wonder, I, I it, you know, but I, I kept with it. Obviously, I'm still running games, um, but they're definitely like the two to three games I ran after that were either failures to launch, like it just did not get off the ground, or we played maybe two to three sessions max, and things just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So I definitely had the the shit game experiences myself too. But you know, again, you really just have to push through it because uh, eventually you'll have some games that you know. It's not, and it's also not going to, it could be, right? It could be, you have a shit game, you have a great game, mm-hmm. but it's probably more than likely going to be, you have a shit game, you have a slightly better game, and then you sort of start pulling yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause again, it goes back to that. Just the more you do things, the better you get. Um, and hopefully the other factors align too. Cause we both know all three of us, I suppose that, uh, sometimes it's not you. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's other things. So. I think the best thing you can do to prepare is just play in a bunch of games with a bunch of different DMs if you have that option and just kind of take mental notes of what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, what it's like to be a player. Most of the stories that I hear about somebody fucking up running a game is because somewhere along the line in some way the DM has forgotten what it's like to be playing that game. Mm -hmm. They're looking at it from a completely different perspective and... The only perspective that really matters when you're running a game is what it's like to play in it. And I don't know, I think uh, I think that's probably the only real way to to get yourself semi-ready before you give it a try. And even after you've given it a try of being a game master, after, I mean, whether or not you've had a, a bunch of different people game master for you as a player, once you step into the role of game master then it's really important it's even more important to have more experiences with other people's game mastering styles because then you're really able to pick up what they're doing that works mm-hmm. because you've been in the situation where things haven't worked um your eyes and ears are more trained to pick up on the on the the details on making it work mm-hmm. i think once you uh once you've run a game or two especially if you've run ones that have just completely blown up in your face and also, if you've run one or two that have gone really well, um, you can't help but always, like, compare notes. Every game that you're in, you know, maybe it's not a critique, but it's like, I really like how this happened, or I'd never do it that way, or whatever the fuck, you know? It's always, like, I guess, like, musicians probably do the same thing, and, like, anybody who's into some creative thing will look at other people that are doing the same kind of creative shit and, you know, borrow and steal and whatever. Mm-hmm. So some ways that you can gain that experience of playing in multiple games under multiple game masters. Most places have very small cons that happen within, a, I mean, at worst, maybe a couple of hours. Um, well, maybe not for some big states like Montana and stuff where everything is so fucking spread out. But mm-hmm. most of the country have a couple of towns within a few months, mi- within like a hundred miles 
And anytime you've got a group of towns that are of decent size, there's going to be some sort of convention that goes on there. It might not be, I mean, it's probably not a role-playing game convention, but it is some sort of convention. Nerds are always the one to play D&D. Yeah. (laughs) Always. Yeah, we have, um, here in our little college town, um, we've got a con called Rathacon that happens in, um, I want to say, April or May, one of those. And um, it's a very small thing. Uh, I know Jordan and I have both run games in it, and there was maybe two other people running games um, whenever we were there last. And then we got Origins that's, you know, an hour and a half away or whatever. Yeah. Another part of having more Game Master experience, more people... Well, I feel like I'm really lucky in that this is the first time I've been in a group where so many people have had at least some Game Mastering experience. Most of my games in the past, maybe one or two of the other players have... Usually one other player. One other instance, I've had two other players who have had experience as Game Master. And I recognize that this is a unique situation to me because I we can rotate Game Masters. We can spend a couple of weeks or a couple of months in each other's games to learn learn from each other and uh, it's it's been something that I've definitely picked up a lot of uh, little notes on how I can be better yeah and you learn a lot more in a, a campaign watching people run it than just a one shot like it's a it's a whole lot easier I think to to run a successful one shot the challenge gets much more difficult to keep things fresh and keep people engaged over the course of weeks and months and the marathon. You know, and, and listening to this podcast, uh, we've got just so many materials available about how to be a good GM. So uh, it's a good starting place, I'd say. <laughs> um, no, but it, it, in all seriousness, uh, I think another good thing, too, to sort of transition forward uh, is getting feedback from your players at the end of a game and and being able to take that feedback on the nose. Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. that's big. Even if it's not what you want to hear or if, you know, and I've been there where I've, you know, someone's like I didn't like the way this happened and in my mind I loved the way that happened or I was extremely convinced that I was in the right there. Um if you don't agree with them just still hearing it and absorbing it is important, you know, and that's going to help you grow and sort of improve the way you do things because maybe in the future even if again if you don't want to do it that way you'll maybe hit another player with a similar way of looking at things or uh, a similar situation and you'll now have that experience and that perspective to like respond differently than you would have the first time yeah and how we a lot of times like immediately after a game we'll just gather out on the porch and shoot the shit for 20 minutes half hour Sometimes we've gone as long as two or three hours mm-hmm. till like 2 a.m. in the morning. That gives a lot of input as to like what can be done in the particular situation that all the players find themselves, how characters, how the, how the players see the game evolving. Mm-hmm. Because then it becomes a, a positive feedback loop of the game master knows exactly what the players want. The players are letting the game master know what they want. And the game master is then able to give them new things, adjust adjust the story or um, adjust the game to meet their meet what they want, 
and then you get to immediately hear how how they're responding to it. Um, there is a degree of um, trust that just hanging out and being friends fosters, and that level of trust is absolutely needed if you want to get actual real feedback from your players. I, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, I'm, I'm going to say this straight out. I think that a game where that does not happen and where the GM's not getting frequent feedback, whether it's positive or negative from the players, uh, that is a game that's going to breed uh, discontent and, I think, might start to kind of fray and fall apart at the hinges. Um, because you need that loop. You, you need to have people talking to each other and trying to implement things that you know players want and the GM wants. Um, and if those two people are not, if those two, the, the two ingredients basically of a game are not communicating effectively, you know, the GM, I think, is definitely at a standstill, and then the players are at a standstill, and then you don't have a game. So yeah, it's pretty much impossible to run a good game in a vacuum. Going back to a, an earlier point that you just made, I, I think probably the biggest thing uh, to be a, a good DM is to keep your ego in check at all mm-hmm. times, and. You know, it's completely natural for people to have so much of themselves invested in their creation that any critique of it is an insult to themselves. But, you know, it's it's not just your thing. It's everybody's thing. You're making, you know, this huge collage of a story with other people's input. Role-playing is a weird phenomenon psychologically for, for players and for DMs. When you're playing your character, you're, you know, injecting yourself into this representation and that's part of the fun of it, that the things that happen to that sort of feel like it's happening to you. It's, it's emulating an experience there. And the same thing happens as a DM, that it's, it's really easy to throw out your big bad guy that you know, you're so proud of and think is so cool. And then when people just steamroll it through something that you didn't expect, you get all pissed off because it's like, it's like part of you is getting killed or insulted. Yeah, like you, you failed... Because you put all this effort into this one guy, yeah. and you like build up his complexities, and you really statted him out, and then your players are just like, get fucked. And... That could go for story points, that could go for some NPC that's not even a combat encounter, that, you know, uh, you feel like somebody's disrespecting them or not taking, you know, a hint or whatever, you know. On some semi-conscious level, I think everybody feels like personally slighted whether they're consciously recognizing it or not when stuff like that happens but as a dm you're kind of putting yourself out there to be a punching bag for a group of people to you know feel like they're powerful and have agency in her saving the world they're saving the world from you mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah i still remember when i learned that particular lesson of it doesn't matter how much effort you put into like that big ba- big bad guy it is the player's story. The particular example was we were playing a Savage Worlds game, and I had this fucking badass undead thing that the player characters were going to face. The technology was kind of equivalent to the late 1800s. So the players encounter this thing on a train. I was basing it off the movie The Horror Express. And they get to the part where they confront this big, bad, evil, undead thing, the first player walks up and has a shotgun. And in Savage Worlds, if you roll maximum uh, on a die, it ex- it's called it explodes, so you re-roll it. A shotgun at close range does 3D, uh, 3d6 damage. 
he ended up rolling in the 40s for damage against my <laughs> big bad Jesus guy Christ. on the first initiative of the first round. And I allowed it to happen, and it was fucking amazing. Um, <laughs> the players absolutely loved it. And as far as a game master letting go of your ego, you got to recognize that, yeah, you got to let your characters be the big damn heroes whenever whenever they have earned it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the dice, even if it's something just freak chance that the dice give it to them, they did fucking earn it. Mm-hmm. I think that moment for me was there was a game I was running where uh, I've talked about it a little bit before. Uh, players were like escaping through the circles of hell because their previous kid, they, they were playing characters that had, they had played before that had died. Um, and they were not good people, so they were escaping out of hell. And um, I remember one of the bosses, one of the circle bosses, was like a, I had this huge pirate thing I put all this time and effort into. Um, and uh, I was had this great like swashbuckling fight coming up where they were going to be like swinging across, you know, uh, the riggings and stuff. Um, but the players showed up, and one of them just nat twenty immediately to grab this guy and just throw him off the ship. <laughs> uh, and my response was just basically like you hear his screams as he falls down <laughs> down down um, and so you know and that they they loved that moment and like did it suck for my ego absolutely I felt utterly humiliated mm-hmm. uh, but it was fun for the players and that's that's the more important thing there because you know what at the end of the day yeah you may feel that little bit of shame or humiliation or whatever but the fact they're having fun unintentionally is an ego boost to you because you are the facilitator. You are the one that is players can make their own fun. Sure. I know we've had that debate, Mm -hmm. but like you are the facilitator at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. You're the person that's kind of helping create the scenario and circumstances for people Mm -hmm. to have fun. That's, that's my work around my way of short circuiting my own ego investment and stuff is try to set up situations where the players are having to deal with each other to figure out what to do, to debate about things, to, to fight over shit, to, you know, whatever. Um, where it's not like, here's this character or whatever that is some kind of, you know, representation of me in the game that they're having to face, but instead it's some situation where they're at each other. And so I'm kind of diffused as just being the, you know, facilitator for that argument or whatever. That's, that's the way I like to run games and keep myself out of it to a degree. Mm -hmm. And back to the point of allowing the players to have those victories, allowing them to, to earn for themselves the, the things that happen in the situation where I, I just described as a game master, it was entirely within my power to have like come up with some sort of way for that bad guy to have survived or, something else to have happened where um, I could have snatched that victory away from them in order to have that character be the, the badass that I wanted them to be. But if I had done that, those players would not have remembered that hell two weeks later, they probably wouldn't have remembered that encounter, but years later, they still remember that encounter because of how awesome it was. And as game master, that is part of your power as facilitator is recognizing and allowing them to have that moment that that will be that great memory. It's not just you losing out on this opportunity that you had, had planned, but you having the power to say, yes, yes, you guys earned this, so I'm not going to cheat and take that away from you. And if they had remembered it, if you had you know, kind of scammed them out of that win, they would have remembered it with just bitterness. Yeah, yeah, like, I rolled 40 damage, and Clayton 
decided that this guy just dodged half of it for some reason. Uh, man, what an unfair GM. Am I right, Jordan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want that to happen. That's very bad. Um, and that's a, that's a lesson I had to learn, too, was, you know, don't fucking fudge stuff. I, fudging stuff is part of being a GM, of course. But, like, don't don't try to snatch victories away from the players. Like, let them happen. Mm-hmm. You'll have your own victories. Don't ruin stuff for them. Because, like we said, when players are having fun, you're having fun. Most of the time. There there are exceptions to that rule, like we've talked yeah. about. If, if the DM's there to win, they can always throw an unlimited number of dragons at a yeah. party. Yeah, or, you know what? You literally say, uh, this person is immortal. Yeah. Invincible. Cannot be killed. Now you win. Congratulations. <laughs> Who's having fun, though? Are you having fun? Because <laughs> right. I'm not. I'm not. That is not fun. God, that would... I, I think that would be, like, a deal-breaker for me, even playing in a group, would be if someone was like, here's... Because I've had people throw boss fights at you that are like, you need NPC help to beat him, or, like, it's like a video game thing, where it's like, you're supposed to lose this fight, you know? Mm. And that's in between for me. But if someone were to literally throw a, like, you have to run from this guy because he's immortal fight at me, I think I'd be like, I'm done. I I think encounters like that are kind of cool, and they're rare, because most party members assume that they're just gonna win in some way, whatever it is that they're up against. And so you lose a lot of cool drama of, you know, running away from whatever horrible thing the DM sent at you, and it's really hard to make it clear to the players that if you try to just square up on this thing, it's going to rip your head off. You know, so I, it takes some real engineering to make something like that happen, because generally players just don't run. But if these, you can make it happen, it could be really cool. But I don't know, to, as far as, like, um, your your state of mind when when running a, a game, um, maybe it's just my personality, but I always think from the perspective of sort of like, a, like, you know, the archetype of like the harsh retired military dad who like is trying to teach their kids a lesson and like put shit in their way to like fuck them up to, you know, give them challenges, watches them do stupid shit, you know, hurt themselves, whatever. But like generally it's for their own good. Though it might be, you know, a little more callous than most people are used to. Like, I feel like something in there might be the perspective that is the right balance of giving a group a bunch of challenges to overcome, but not make it so easy that it seems unearned, but, you know, still have, you know, some drama happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, that is that is the absolute balance that that being a game master is all about. It's all about making Ideally, every single decision that a game master makes should be of deciding what's going to make this the most fun. If you allow too much of your ego to get into it, um, that's going to start robbing the player. That's going to start robbing away that mindset of making it the most fun. I think uh, another point is to take your ego out of it and to take any any kind of favoritism or unfairness out of it, it's really important to stick to rules. The rules are there to be the the neutral ground on which everything happens. And if you say, well, this rule just doesn't apply to this character just for whatever reason, whether it's an NPC or a player character or what have you, you know, then then people are like, what the hell? That was the contract. You know, the rules are are what we all understand to be the reality that we're in. Mm-hmm. And when you throw that out the window for this one random thing, that's that's a gross breach of trust. Yeah. 
You've got to be unilateral with the rules that you're applying to the player characters. If in one instance you say you decide to ignore a particular rule, you're going to have to ignore that rule in every follow-up situation where that comes up. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm the type of person that ignores a lot of rules. Because uh, I, I, that's made, I, I, that sounded really odd. Like, I'm just a rebel. Like, I don't, I don't follow <laughs> the rules. Uh, but I am the type of person that will ignore rules in favor of PCs and, and uh, you know, NPCs. But I, I think you guys are, are right. Like, I, I'm definitely not as much of a stickler, or not even stickler is the wrong word, but like sort of someone that really like, because you're right, the rules are an arbitrating force. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not at the point where I think that that's something that needs to be happening all the time. And so I, I'm more than willing to like definitely throw a couple rules out the window. Um, but, but I think you guys hit the nail on the head that that needs to apply universally. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just be like, well, this doesn't matter now. And then, oh, that doesn't matter later. You know, it needs to be like, okay, I'm making this, this, uh, grapple rule not matter right now. It's going to be just a strength check. Mm-hmm. You need to have that be for PCs mm-hmm. and for enemies and for anyone else trying to do a grapple rule for the rest of the game. Like mm-hmm. it's got to be consistent. It can't be just throwing it out whenever you want. And, and there's a difference between, well, I don't know how this rule works, so for now, for expediency, we're going to do it this way, versus, well, let's just ignore these rules. I personally am totally on board with, let's let's do it this way now, and then we'll fix it in the future, as sure. long as the players know at the time, we don't want to spend 20 minutes flipping through the book to try to find out what page... Um, of the 488-page uh, Eclipse Phase book, this particular rule <laughs> Not on. calling anyone out or anything. <laughs> well, usually you'll have that player somewhere in the group that, you know, within 30 seconds of you asking the question, will be like, page 152, you know? So, I don't know. With PDFs and things, things have gotten a lot easier as far as rules referencing. <laughs> Look that shit up. Yeah. As long as everybody is using the same edition of the book. Oh, <laughs> boy. Very important. Have to have the same printing, the same month, all yep. that. Yeah. Yep. Not calling Thanks, anyone Eclipse out. Face. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you want to come on here and, and stop us from shit-talking your shitty game, contact Clean at dmscorpioachievement.com. Hey, we don't have to stop there. What's the square root of half your strength, Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> so, Sega edition. <laughs> you're, you're, we're looking at you, too. <laughs> so... Some things that you can do to improve your game mastering is just having new people in your group as players. Because if you're if you've got the same core group of people and you've been playing for years and years and years, it gets stale because everybody starts to learn everybody else's tricks. Mm-hmm. Beth knows a lot of my tricks as game master because she's been in my games for nearly twenty years now. She calls me out on things that I do that, like, in a very recent um, actual play of the Savage Worlds New World setting, she called me out after the game for something that I did that was very uncharacteristic of me and actually was not fair of me. I had dropped the ball in designing this scenario, and then I had some stuff that didn't make sense. Then when she had a very good idea, I didn't allow that good idea to work because I had it would have circumvented a huge portion of the adventure that I had planned. I really should not have done that. Mm-hmm. It's one of those kill your darlings moments. Yep. You just couldn't bring yourself to do it. So there's an example of something I did just a couple of weeks ago that I should have known better. That's how I'm going to improve as a game master is by not doing that in the future. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a tough one, especially when you put a lot of time into a thing. Especially when everybody everybody is there. You've been sitting at the table for 20 minutes, uh-huh. and this thing is going to completely ruin everything else that's been planned for the session. And there's no way and, to like quickly rejigger things to... like work it in some other way <laughs> yeah, that yes. was that was my uh we don't even need to go to the gala moment <laughs> <laughs> so i feel that as well man i've seen that happen so many times like the D D group of approaches the cave full of goblins or whatever and the dm says there's only one way in and out of this cave all right we'll smoke them out yep <laughs> we'll just sit here with a fire and Kill them one by one as they run out of this place where they'll suffocate. Oh, great. Okay, there goes the whole fucking adventure. And you're like, you can't do that. And they're like, well, you said there's only one way in or out. Yeah, I'm like... Oh, there's no ventilation in there. Suffocate. Oh, man. I've done that to so many DMs. <laughs> and I've had it done to me a few times as well, but... Yeah, but that's when you have all the goblins come out at the same time. Yep. Women and children, too. <laughs> How many Anakins we got in the party, I wonder. Let's find out. Yeah, it's it's really hard when you throw stuff like that together to, to always think about, like, okay, if some other DM presented this to me, what tricky way would I go about trying to break this thing? Like, it's just like trying to edit your own writing, you know? Like, it's really tough to playtest your own settings, or your own scenarios and whatnot. So especially uh, risk going down a rabbit hole there, where... You're sitting around, you're like, I've already planned this scenario. And you're like, how, do, how are the players going to break it? And you sort of start just kind of like a snake eating its own tail, mm-hmm. where you're just sort of being like, what if they do this? And you're like, oh god, if they do that, then they're going to do this. And it's just like a conspiracy <laughs> board. So you're better off just planning something, seeing where it goes, and then improvising on the fly if you can, I think is the big one. If you can, again. You know, sometimes it's tough to do that. To take a metaphor from software development, um, it's it's common to try to avoid when you're writing a program to have a lot of interdependent modules of the program to where if one of them breaks or has an error or whatever, it causes cascading issues. Or even if you're just trying to update some code, it could cause a ridiculous amount of issues in this complicated web that you've created. And so you want things to be isolated and modular so that you can throw things out and not have to worry about, you know, a particular sequence of dependencies occurring. So, you know, in the in the case of the, the goblin cave or whatever, okay, yeah, a bunch of the goblins are inside choking to death, and then the goblin war party that was out hunting or whatever comes back at that time and sees what's going on. You know, you've got to have a couple different pieces to move around mm-hmm. the board. You can't expect to you know, shoehorn them down your story funnel yeah. every time. Yeah, and like in situations like that, players are always going to think of a better idea than what you've got. And when they do, the best thing you can do is is allow them to succeed but throw a complication that they didn't anticipate. Yeah. Like like I was like I said, with smoking the goblins out Great, it works so well that the women and children come running out. You said you're going to kill them all. What do you do now? Mm-hmm. Well, they're just going to make more goblins. So. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing Turtle. else that I needed to do for that whole session because the entire rest of the session was discussing about what in the hell we're going to do <laughs> with all of these goblins. <laughs> with all these little 
infant goblins, goblins clinging to their mothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got those big eyes, man. You can't can't get away from those. It's a going rate for goblin slaves at the market. <laughs> this is our loot. <laughs> you just go in there and get the treasure once you know they've all been smoked out. I'm selling the goblins. We could do both. Yeah, double your loot. Yeah, baby goblin kebabs. It's like veal. Oh, oh, they're God. already smoked. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh God, why do I why do I run in the same group as you two? <laughs> <laughs> My poor paladin would have been so. so oh, what would he have done? I don't know. By the way, you can completely cut this out of the podcast if you want. I just wanted to say one of the things that I, I really want to run before I take off is I desperately want to run an old school second edition D&D game. Just straight murder hobo and around fucking very, very traditional shit, but completely devoid of morality whatsoever. I want to see how good people can murder hobo when... All prejudice and restraint is removed, removed oh, from God. the DM's perspective. Just have at it, guys. It, like Game of Thrones level amorality <laughs> playing second edition D&D, which is pretty brutal. The thing I've been thinking about. <laughs> so something that I do, one of the things that we as a group do is a lot of times after the games, we'll just shoot the shit for a while out on, out on the porch. But for me, probably one of the most valuable things that I do is on the car ride home, I think about the session. I think about the things that went right, things that went wrong, things I could have done better, things I could have just done differently and how that might have worked things out. In order to improve yourself in any way, not just in gaming, but just as a person, it requires a certain amount of self-awareness mm-hmm. um, and self-reflection and being honest with yourself recognizing that not everything you do is right. I've always had that time to think at because I always live like 20 minutes away from wherever we're gaming. For a very brief amount of time, we actually gamed at my house back when I was in my early 20s. But since then, before and after then, I've had at least a 20-minute drive after the game to get back home. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I drive Beth nuts um, whenever she's with me because I, I'm talking out the things that have happened and I, I try not to give any spoilers to her, like give her any additional insight, but it has to happen. I mean, I know it happens because we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, <laughs> that's something that I do to help improve myself. Yeah, I'll, I'll go for like walks if the weather's permitting. Uh, and I have somewhere I can walk to. This area is good for that, luckily. And that'll help me sort of reflect on how things are going, where I want to take things in the future. Because game, like game mastering, is an active process; it's not a passive process. Like mm-hmm. you can't make your plans. You know, like if you put in just a solid two weeks of like you come home from work or whatever, and you're like, I'm gonna work on the game, and you build up this whole thing. Odds are that that'll last you maybe the a session or two, but then everything's going to diverge so far from that, and the players maybe have different personalities than you imagined. Um, that you're going to need to like retool things, and I think that sort of just taking some time and like thinking it out, and again talking about it if you want. If you have someone that's not in the game that's interested in RPGs, I, I've done that too. I have a buddy that's in the military, and he doesn't get to play games that often, but I'll, I'll like call him up and be like, "Hey, this happened. What do you think?" You know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, where should I go from here? Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. You gotta be careful in your review process and not uh, not get into that like self hate downward spiral and all that kind of thing. Like it's sort of like having like a, a real heated argument with somebody and then like you walk away and you're like, I should have said this and I should have yep. said that. And yeah, like, just I would have given this. it to him. <laughs> Yeah, that's the bad ones. Yeah, Beth can tell you every car ride home is full of me saying, I should have. Uh-huh. You gotta avoid, yeah, that's exactly, those are the words that you need to avoid if you're doing this. It's not I should have, it should be uh, I'm going to, or yeah. stuff like that. And that's actually a really good point, you really gotta avoid, like, man, I'm so bad at this, and like, I should have done that, and um, why do these people, <laughs> why do these people even let me run games for them? Yep. Uh, or or if it's one of those things where you're mad, you're gonna be like, wow, why do I run games for these people? Uh, you know. I what the, the fuck worst... is their problem? What the fuck's their problem? Yeah, the worst would be, well, next time I'm gonna show that motherfucker I'm gonna do this and that, and so then you show up to the next session with an axe to grind, and it's like, mm-hmm. god damn it, okay. So Maybe that guy doesn't even know he pissed you off, too, so you just come out of, like, yep. left field where you're like, right. You could jump by two Roll guards. Initiative, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> like that first game that I ever ran where I was so tired of the two, uh, two essentially main characters, basically, because they were the ones that talked in the group being evil, that I went out and actively recruited someone with previous experience to come in and play a paladin. <laughs> and I just, sh- I didn't tell them, so they just showed up in the next session. I'm like, hey guys, here's so and so. He's going to be playing a paladin. And everyone was just like, what? <laughs> And the two people like were just staring at me absolutely dumbfounded. I'm over there like, I showed you fuckers. <laughs> I hope you're ready to follow the law now. They didn't. But it's fine. So I, I definitely, I feel that one. Yeah, if you can sense a, a feeling of animosity starting between, like, pervasive, you know, o- over the course of multiple sessions between the, the group and the DM, that's probably time to take a break or have a talk or something like some maintenance needs to be done there or just, you know, a cool down or some kind of thing. It's, I've been in a few long running games where it shit just builds and builds and builds. And I mean, this kind of activity can actually destroy friendships if people are not like, you know, very conscious of what's going on. I've seen it happen several times. So you're kind of playing with fire sometimes. Some other places where you might be able to get some advice on the game that you're running is um, like social media has a lot of different groups. Um, Facebook has a bunch of different like groups catering to game masters. Google Plus, if you're one of the few people who have who participate in that, that's, um, that's still a thing. <laughs> um, there's other pod. There, believe it or not, there are other podcasts that talk about how to be. Um, how to play role-playing games and how to be a game master. Um, you might be able to check. You might be able to search on iTunes and maybe find one or two. <laughs> Stack Exchange has a really great role-playing um, sub-thread uh, or forum. I don't know if you guys have seen that or not. Mm-hmm. not really. Stack Exchange is like just a huge Q&A forum thing. Uh, I think it started for computer programming, but it's branched out into all kinds of different, you know, subheadings but the one for rpgs is pretty awesome Mm -hmm. the reddit um rpg areas Mm -hmm. are very active i've got a couple of things that i want to just give out as general advice to to learn how to do 
things in order to uh, to be a better game master. The first is learn to act silly, because yeah. if you're self conscious and you don't want to be perceived as silly by your players, you're not going to be a good game master. You have to you have to be able to put yourself out there in a completely ridiculous way because if you think about it we are doing something that is totally ridiculous we are adults playing make-believe absurd mm-hmm. yeah you gotta get those silly voices like out there like if you have a voice in your head you're like man this would really fit but i'm gonna look like a complete idiot mm-hmm. look like a complete idiot like that's that's the fun <laughs> of it you know ideally people will eventually you know run games on their own and then you'll inspire them to do the same because and I've noticed this in a lot of groups I play with where I'm not the best of voices. I'll, I'll do a couple here and there that are pretty good and I'm trying to do more. Um, but partly that was because I, I was, I used to be really into voices, but I would always play with groups that weren't into it and always get very uncomfortable mm-hmm. whenever you do something kind of wacky or crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I only do it with like, you know, a handful of people, but the more you do it and set that example and you're less afraid to do it, the more comfortable other people are going to be with the idea and do it themselves. And that's what makes the game fun is, you know, having a little bit of diversity in the characters. I'm really shitty at voices. I tend to avoid it. There's there's a small range of things that I could, like, reasonably pull off, but then there's all kinds of other shit that I couldn't. And when you're running a game and you're having to, like, you know, personify every kind of possible person that they could come up against. It always seemed kind of weird to me to like only do that for a few. And then the rest is just like me talking. So I tend to just default to, you know, here's me telling you what this person says. If you want to get better at doing like voices and stuff like that, play a fantasy game that way. Whenever you're at your, whenever you bust out your absolutely shitty accent, nobody can say (laughs) is, that's a terrible German accent. That's not German. That's Golnathy. <laughs> <laughs> Why is your Russian so bad? It's not Russian. It's just it's Orcish. <laughs> That's a really good idea. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, another piece of advice specifically for new GMs is don't be subtle. Learn how obvious you need to be with your story before you learn about being subtle with it because you're the game master you know you can see everything that's going on you can see all the pieces players for one they cannot see all the pieces for two they're not going to remember all of the pieces so it's best to be incredibly obvious and then just pull it back from there it goes back to the modularity thing I was yeah. talking about. You've got all these dependencies, and if, you're, if one of your dependencies is somebody remembering what they did in this obscure thing that seemed meaningless last week or two weeks ago or whatever, forget about it. May as well not even set it. My example of me being way too subtle, I was playing a World of Darkness game. I made a 15-minute long recording of completely in character of this of this insane guy that the player characters found and then were able to listen to. I gave like, I mentioned like three times because I heard the advice you, you, you tell the players the information three times and that gives them more chance that they'll remember it. Mm -hmm. In, in 15 minutes, I mentioned subtly 
three different times what they needed to know in order to advance the plot. Mm-hmm. After about minute three of listening to it, I could tell that they had kind of checked out and they weren't listening to it anymore, mm-hmm. and they hadn't even come upon the first subtle hint that I. Had <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, ex- fifteen minutes is a long time. Yeah, to, to sit and listen to a thing. Yeah. Wow. This was very early, before Man. when I was still putting that much effort it it takes a long time to write 15 minutes of insane rambling yes yeah Yeah. i think one thing if you're trying to like give clues or whatever um use props i don't do this much anymore but when i used to run fantasy games if there was you know something that the people would find I'd take a little square of paper and jot down, you know, the note they find in the the wizard's lab or whatever the fuck and hand it to somebody. When you have a physical thing to give someone, they put it in their character folder, they remember, they look back at it, whatever. If you just tell them, oh, you found this note, and then that's it, maybe they jot it down on their character sheet, maybe they don't. I don't know. Give them something to, to look back at. This is not a critique of players, because when I'm a player, I do this too. Players don't remember because they don't know what's important. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what's important, you're not going to remember the thing that's important. People have shit going on in their lives. You yeah. Know, this is four hours out of your week. And there's work and family and school. Every single thing that takes the rest of your mental attention. Don't mm-hmm. expect too much of people. Yeah. Every role-playing game book has a how-to-be-a-GM section. Early on, I every single one of those I read... Um, I'm sorry to admit that, um, the past several books that I've gotten, I've probably skipped over those sections, but those sections are full of really good advice. If you're just learning how to structure the game, how to, how to actually play the game, that's where to go to learn. If I was a little bit more on it, I would continue to read those. Some of the books that I've read that have had the best information about how to be a game master have been um, the D20 Call of Cthulhu book, the um, the D&D 3.5 Dungeon Master Guide 2, and um, the Fate Core rule book um, have been really good resources for me. I still, if I'm in a slump, I'll still go back and read those sections mm-hmm. to get either inspiration or to see if there's some nugget in there that I haven't mined yet. The sections have gotten a lot better in the last... 10 years or so. Yeah. They, people have really spent time looking at uh, role-playing games and figuring out how to do it better in a much more systematic way than mm-hmm. they used to. Well, I think it's partly due to just the, um, the connectivity between a bunch of different GMs being able to get together on message boards or um, social media and bounce ideas off of each other. And people have learned a lot faster what will work and what doesn't work because they're getting all that all that really good feedback from 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 the masses of people. It's interesting with, with something like this being so completely imaginary and you know idiosyncratic to the group that you're in. You would you would think that there wouldn't be a right or wrong way to do it, but it turns out that there are in fact right and wrong ways to do this kind mm-hmm. of stuff and. You know, there's certain ways that people communicate. There's, you know, people are cognitively similar, and there's lots of people who spend more time on it than, than you have. So, yeah, look up those sources. 
Tracy Hickman has written a lot about running games as well, of Dragonlance fame. Mm, yeah. I can't remember the name of uh, that last book of his that I read about it, but um, he's he's really good at outlining outlining the stuff the the fat to cut the you know not getting tripped up in rules and you know figuring out where the the real meat of um the experience is for for players i have one last thing and that's going to be the segue into personally how to improve game master last thing i kind of want to say on this topic is respect any criticism of your players it can be hard not to react with frustration whenever players express that they're not getting something or that something needs to change part of being a game master part of what we said earlier about like leaving your ego at the door is being able to accept that criticism Mm -hmm. it's a part of being self-aware of realizing that you don't know everything that you might not do things the right way it can be hard when you're sitting right there and somebody says something Mm -hmm. because yeah, whenever you're reflecting on it, it can, it's a, it's a totally different thing because you have some distance away from it. Whenever you're sitting right there and the person says it and your one second later response is to say, no, Mm -hmm. here's why I'm right. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to be able to hold your tongue. You need to be able to stop from saying that and listen. That's everybody's natural response to anything that yeah. is oppositional to them. It, gaming, politics, it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it doesn't matter what kind of uh, argument you have to make or what facts you have on your side. Everybody's impulse is no defense mode. Yep. Time to fight. I think there's something to, to be said for when that... Maybe you have thought about that criticism, but if, if it's come from within you, it's different than if someone else brings the idea before you yeah because all of a sudden you're more i i mean that's just human instinct i think is you're more inclined to listen to yourself than you are other people probably yeah in most cases uh so there's also a weird a weird thing about um i guess it's the the etiquette of this sort of thing because it's one thing to to criticize someone's services or whatever when you paid them for something you know but this is a, a social encounter and you know, and it's a labor of love. It's a labor Absolutely. of love, exactly. There, no one's getting paid for this, and the only thing that you really put into it as a player is however many hours of your time to show up. And, you know, the person running the game has almost certainly put in more time than you have, unless you've got, you know, like a, a Haley type of player who's, like, got a novella about what their character's been doing since last week. But when you've... When you've got that kind of setup, it's almost like who are you to judge? You know, <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to come off as ungrateful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a weird dynamic. You don't want to damage friendships. That's yeah. That's always kind of the underlying thing. Like, am I being a dick in the game, or am I just being a dick? <laughs> yeah. So I think we'll move on to uh, start talking about how I Clayton can improve as a game master, and I'm going to kick this off. Um, with something that I know that I do. Um, I don't know if the two of you have been aware, but sometimes my anger response for things is a little above what a typical person would consider appropriate. Like, I don't know, yelling at players when they won't shut up. I had noticed. Yeah, I I do this. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) 
I love <laughs> that you do that. I would not fault you for that at all. But it's too much. I I do it too much. I I get ramped up t- to um to an inappropriate level of uh response to what has been to the disrespect that has been dealt to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, let's real talk here for a second. Uh a, a lot of the people that we play with have kind of a lot of free time. You work full time, you got, you know, all kinds of responsibilities and stuff, you know, you're You've said before, your recreational time is a a precious thing because there is much less of it for you to have than a lot of the players that we have because we play with a lot of younger people. That's just where people are at in their lives. And, I I mean, I completely empathize with getting frustrated that people are sitting around shooting the shit about nonsense when you're there for this activity that we've all decided we're going to do at that time. And... Even when you're not running games, you did that a couple of times in an apocalyptic game that I was running, and I appreciated it, because I'm so easy going a lot of times, I'll just sit back and let people bullshit the night away, and it's cool that, you know, you'll kind of ring people's bell and, you know, get them to focus on what's going on, and part of me also just cracks up seeing people's, you know, jump out of their seat when you <laughs> suddenly start screaming at the top of your lungs, especially since you're, you know, such a, a low-key personality the rest of the time. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> I think what this boils down to is Jordan just likes seeing people squirm. I really do. I really do. <laughs> but no, I, I wouldn't criticize you on that point, but in other contexts, I've definitely seen you get pissed off in a game that, yeah, you definitely got some anger stuff. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody does that, yeah. I, I, I just went on for like 15 minutes. Do you have anything to say? Um, I mean, I I think that can. there's a time and a place for that, for sure. Uh, there's definitely times where I've also raised my voice. Not, maybe not with this group, but like my girlfriend, Nina, uh, Nina is running a game right now. And that game always takes an hour to start because everyone's fucking doing some stupid shit. Um, or they're arguing over something pointless in character, and I'm always the one that's always like, all right, like, everybody sit down and shut up, you know? And So maybe I can definitely see there's circumstances where it's warranted. And, and you know, but I think at, at other times, too, sort of maybe, like, just trying to get everyone to, like, rally around might be better, but at the same time, you know, that's a group thing. Like, how well is that going to work if people are, like, on their phones mm-hmm. or if they're having another conversation? Because then you're trying to be like, hey, hey. Hey, you know, mm-hmm. so that's my, that's all I got. The criticism part that I would have for your anger is not when you're trying to get people engaged in the game. That, like I said, is completely understandable. Um, the criticism I would have is when you get pissed off that people are not playing the game in the way that you expected them to do that. I've seen you do that before. Yeah. And I, it's what we've talked about before. You know, you've got your, your idea there and, you know, some expectation of how it's going to go. I don't know if you get, like, seething mad, but you definitely get, like, you know, visibly frustrated and get much more short in your responses and, you know, that sort of thing. I understand completely. I've been there times. (laughs) But it's something that I struggle with constantly. I get myself even more more worked up on my car ride home sometimes, Mm -hmm. and that's really not good. Mm -hmm. Um, Poor Beth. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, something, well, I I noticed I 
do this, but this is something that Beth brought up and I'm sharing, sharing it that, um, I realized I did it, but I didn't realize how obvious it was that I was doing it. I sometimes deal out in character punishments for out of like for player frustration, for player caused frustrations. <laughs> um, for instance, um, in the Abana game, there was a combat going on. There was a trick to the combat that the the things you were fighting were weak to this particular thing. Um, this is not this. I had a couple of combats in in there like this. Um, Beth figured out what she what needed to be done. She was trying to explain that to people, but because of our group, she was just getting talked over. Either other stuff going on, or people not paying attention to her, uh, because they're on the complete opposite side of the table, and there were the other people talking in, in between you guys. So in that particular encounter, I made the encounter the rest of the encounter harder. <laughs> the enemies were that much harder for you guys to take out. Which encounter was this? Out of curiosity, yeah. um, this was uh, this was something that happened in the Tomb of Horrors. Whatever huh. you were fighting, something in there. God, it was probably you, a cage. For yeah, this. yeah. <laughs> you were Jordan's there, character yeah. was in a cage. <laughs> that was your own punishment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I think that's something that's a tough one to avoid too, because if you're mad at somebody, like you have this power that you can let them feel your frustration by making yep. them frustrated. Now, on the same side, and I can see why you would consider that's a negative, because that's the old adage of um, if you're seeking revenge, dig two graves, because then you're both just frustrated, uh, and then that negative loop starts developing. Mm-hmm. I guess there, there's two interesting dynamics going on there. Um, like one, I guess, is the obvious one that, uh, apart from the game or whatever, that's your wife. And so when you see people disrespecting your wife, you're going to get angry, mm-hmm. and that's completely natural and fully appropriate. That that's just the most um, readily example. Sure, ready yeah. example. It's been. It's happened other times. I can't remember the exact circumstances, but I know that it has happened. Uh, the The other part of that that I think is interesting, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast, is to what degree the DM acts as a social referee for the etiquette of the table. And I'm not sure that that's in the DM's job description. Um I, maybe it is, but I, I feel like that's probably one of those things where the burden needs to be equally distributed across everyone at the table. Yeah, you can't be throwing red cards, being like, "All right, you're like foul on the play." Uh, you're now sentenced to fifteen more minutes in this combat because you're not being a good person. Yeah, you're being a rude prick, so I'm docking yep. you a level. Yeah, that's one of the causes of me doing the in-character punishments of making things harder or something is because I have that duality going on in, in me of, I want to play this fucking game guys versus, well, I'm just here to facilitate the game. If, if everybody's sitting around, if I'm the only one sitting here wanting to play this game and everybody else is sitting around here, seeming like they're having a lot of fun. Is it my place? Even though I'm the game master, I'm just one of five or one of six sitting around this table does my wish to play this game trump all of their desire to just sit and bullshit for an hour? 
I guess that's different than, than what I was talking about. I see what you're saying there. Um, but I think there's two different things there. Um, on the one hand, the social referee that, that you're talking about is having everyone engaged to play the game. But what I was kind of getting at though, is if people are all engaged in playing the game, but some players are talking over other players and, you know, exercising some kind of social power struggle thing with everyone already being into the game. I don't know how much of that is up to the DM to, to allocate. Cause I mean, at some point in there, you start getting into things like your character's personality. Like maybe you are a overbearing, you know, barbarian or a kind of quiet wizard or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I see what you're saying now. And, and it, in those situations, it's those players who are going to be the more overbearing type of character players mm. who play those types of characters. Awesome. So really how much of it is the character? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, you play things that you want to play. Yeah. But so, then you've got the opposite problem of somebody playing, like, I'm going to stretch myself. I'm going to play a more quiet character, but then they don't do that. Well, I, I've tried that before. I'm I'm definitely on the, the much more assertive end of the spectrum than a lot of people that we play with. And when I've tried to do that and play, play like a roguey kind of character or a caster or somebody that's not just out there screaming with a battle axe or whatever, um, usually I just find myself like sort of over-asserting in whatever way that that character is good at doing shit, you know? And I, I don't know if there's... A whole lot you can do. I mean, all you can really do is try to not be an asshole and make sure other people are having fun. But some people are just, you know, more prone to try to impose their will on a situation than others. Yeah. And other people will, you know, just sort of sit back and see what happens. Here I am talking about asserting my will and just rambling on it with <laughs> you guys. So please. Thanks, Palpatine. <laughs> so we're just echoing Will Wheaton's general gaming advice of. Don't be a dick. Yeah, that sounds great. In theory, you know, it's a good thing to try and follow. Is it the DM's job, though, to to be like, hey, you keep over-talking them? I'm going to say yeah. I, I know that's kind of a, a detraction from what we just talked about, but I've always seen the Game Master as whoever it may be at the time. And the beauty of having a group where it switches is that it's not one person feeling like they're the social leader of a group, right? Mm-hmm. And I've noticed this in a couple different groups. People tend to sort of listen to and follow the person that's running the game. Mm-hmm. And or if there's someone else running the game, but they're sort of an enforcer or like, you know, uh, a, a backseat GM to an extent, they'll listen to them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think even if it's not their job, it becomes their job. Because I think that people just sort of naturally default into that. You know, maybe not with this group necessarily. You know, I'm looking at it and like, I think because we have so many people that run games people are more likely to assert their will but like i mean let's 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 be honest like kyle for example likes to play leadership characters Mm -hmm. and even when he's not running a game he is the type of person that's trying to like bring people in to do things and he's always the one coming up with ideas of how to interact with and solve issues Mm -hmm. so well on the flip side is it also then the dm's duty to try to pull things out of people who are who tend towards being quiet who tend towards sitting back and watching like does it work both ways does it mute this person and bring up the volume on the other person is the idea to balance everything out 
I think the idea is to try to, like, equalize the two. Like, don't completely deafen the person that won't shut up, but Mm -hmm. also, you know, don't, like, force this introvert or shy person to be like, you gotta do everything now. Like, this is all on you. You know, but I think there's... And and obviously, it's hard to find the equilibrium, and there's no guarantee you're going to find it, but I think it's it's sort of that case where the pursuit of that equilibrium is very noble. (laughs) You know? Like... I'm just not sure that it's the most desirable ideal to either party, uh, to either kind of, of player, just working with the extremes here. I mean, you know, we play with people who often, depending on, you know, what mood they're in that week, might just want to be there to listen or maybe throw in a thing here and there, but, like, don't want to be forced into some, like, major decision-making role yeah. or have the spotlight. They're just kind of here to hang out and throw some dice a little bit, you know, and want the pressure. I do think that when, because the Game Master has so many other things going on, if the Game Master sees that one player is being talked over, if their their opinions aren't being heard, if the player, if the Game Master is noticing it, it's, it's a rampant problem. Mm-hmm. Because the Game Master has so many other things that they're concentrating on. If they happen to notice something like that going on, it is a big issue and they probably should do something then in there to address it, like get everybody to quiet down so that the quiet person can have a few words to speak. Mm-hmm. I guess part of the complication of the whole thing is the rule structure of role playing games where if you're in combat, it's dictated everyone gets their turn and it goes in a sequence. But when you're discussing things out of combat or, you know, whatever the situation may be, there is no structure there for people to be guaranteed their their input mm-hmm. so roll initiative for discussion is that yeah. where we're sort of <laughs> yeah exactly leaning toward here <laughs> I, I the way i try to do that there is a discussion is to be like okay so and so speak your piece you know mm-hmm. and then once they're done ideally if you can get this to happen they'd be like okay does anybody have any thoughts on that mm-hmm. hear those out next person say your piece what's your opinion like do we kill this person do we not why do you think that and then kind of go around and do that rather than be like, all right, everyone, open forum. Uh, like, what are we doing? And then having it be like, sort of just everyone throwing out ideas at once. You know. Mm-hmm. Now that's tough if it's a conscientious topic. Like, if everybody's kind of already in agreement, it's very easy for you to go around the table and have everyone give like slight variations of a yes answer or a mm-hmm. no answer. If it's like half the table's divided and everyone's really invested in the game, it is hard as fuck to get people to not talk over everyone. Because, like, someone will say something that someone else disagrees with, and they'll start talking. And then you have to look at me like, no, like, wait your turn. Then you feel like a, like a fucking mm-hmm. preschool teacher. Or, yeah. no, maybe not that, a kindergarten teacher, where you're like, no, like, you don't have the talking stick. Right. Wait till you have the talking stick, you know? Like, but I still feel like that's the most easy way to handle that situation, if you can, you know? I think I feel totally different about it if the conversation being had is in character or out of character. An out-of-character conversation where people are getting talked over, that, you know, I've got that impulse of that's fucking rude and something should be done about it. But if it's an in-character thing, I feel like that's a different deal, and maybe that shouldn't be fucked with by anybody. That, you know, maybe someone is role-playing their character as, you know... I'm the quiet, vindictive wizard, and when the fucking body paladin talks over me, well, I'm just going to fucking grumble off and go do some evil shit that he doesn't know about. And, you know, maybe that is an expression of the character. I think the problem there is that the lines start to blur, and it gets socially vindictive in that, like, 
for example, you'll have a character that people can get intimidated out of character, even by an in-character action. So, like, let's say you're the paladin, right? And you're like, we shouldn't kill this person. But there's a lawful or a chaotic evil wizard who's not playing that archetype, right? But it's someone that just anytime you open your mouth just starts screaming. Mm-hmm. Like, not words, right? They're just screaming. Eventually, in or out of, you're probably going to hit him out of character. At least I would. <laughs> um, but like, and then, but then you hit, you hit him and they're like, I was just playing my character. And you're like, <laughs> either, either you hit him or you're intimidated and you just shut up because yeah. like this person's either screaming nonsense or just yelling at you. And then you're like, fuck this, you know? And that in my mind, that's where the GM needs to step in and be like, okay, this is not okay. Like yeah. we're going to have a fucking yeah. round table discussion and talk about this, like, like adults and people playing this game, not, and then, and if they want to bring up the, in, the in-character thing, there's a cutoff line, I feel like. I know that's a different topic altogether, but, like, if, if that line's blurring to the point of where the person is feeling intimidated or pissed mm-hmm. out of character by, like, an in-character reaction, mm-hmm. that's where you gotta step in. I think we all need to be much more clear in this group about when we are speaking in-character or out-of-character. It gets confusing a lot of times, and I've seen it have weird conflicts and effects in multiple games. You want to talk about something that frustrates me mm-hmm. is that like mm-hmm. everything that has been said in the past 20 minutes has all been out of character. And we've been talking about like killing this guy and um, what we should like do to his family and stuff like that while he's standing right in front of us. Right. Yeah. There are a few things that piss me off faster than no, everything I just said was out of character that it, it has no contact. It, it's not in, in the game. So I need this ability to just say whatever I want, even though everything that you're saying are is things that your character is thinking and you're freely sharing it with the other characters. Mm-hmm. That gray line just pisses me off every time <laughs> we come Should, up to it. What do you guys think about this? Should we institute something where anything you say is presumed to be in character? Uh, Unless you've got your hand up, and then that's out of character. I, I oh. used to be in a group where, out of character, people would raise a thumb up and be like, this would be out of character. But anytime their hand was down, it would be seen to be in character. Mm-hmm. Um, I eventually just started thinking it was dumb and stopped doing it. But, I mean, if it's a problem, maybe we should start going back to I, something like that. I think we should do that for the Star Wars game. Okay. I'm into it. As a player, I try to, like, if I'm not talking about the rules, everything I say is in character. Mm-hmm. Basically, I, unfortunately for me, I'm a I am the type of person that likes to like joke and sort of say shit, you yeah. know. And like so, even when I'm running a game, you know, I might make a stupid joke or some shit. And also, to, I guess to defend the the out of character discussion, for me, out of character helps organize my thoughts of what my character would want to do. Yeah, and so like I totally get yeah. your frustration yeah. too, Clayton. But for me, a lot of the times when I'm like, all right, guys, let's discuss out of character what we want to do. It helps me think what it, through what I want to do. I Yes, I, I get to hear what other characters are thinking. And that actually brings up a second point there, too, where you can't sometimes sort of iterate what your character's inner monologue is mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. You know? And out of character, you can be like, my character's feeling this and thinking this, you know? But for one reason or another, maybe this is all they can say. You know, and so that out of character moment gives you a chance to sort of get a, a bigger, a bigger idea of the picture, a more fuller idea of the picture than, you know, as, as, as pure as a, like, in character, let's kill him. 
you know, is. I, I don't know. That That's why I like it, but I can definitely see why yeah. you would disagree. Yeah. There's, I guess there's like this, this weird halfway phenomenon that, that you were kind of getting at the, the player taking the opportunity to narrate or describe what their character is doing or acting like the expression, whatever it's in this weird kind of in between space. And, and also I think like from the perspective of a DM, since that's what we're talking about, um, it's really nice when I'm running a game and I'm preparing for the next shit to happen and people are trying to decide what they're going to do, it takes a lot of workload off of me when the players can talk to each other as players. And if someone's forgotten about a thing, some other player reminds them of it or whatever, and they all kind of get on the same page and they only really need me if they don't have any kind of consensus. And so which way was this thing? And then I can say that and go back to what I was doing. So it, it definitely offloads a lot of the work. I don't know. It's just one of those things where I, I think we need some kind of structural thing yeah. to like put up some boundaries there to determine what we need what. some sort of clear delineation. Yeah. I guess one thing I would say about um, the the way that you run games that it, it's just kind of a continuation of a little bit of what we talked about before, but you are very very uncomfortable with going off the rails. I I understand why. And a lot of DMs are, but I, I get the impression from you, and I'm a player that goes off the rails every fucking chance that I get, but I always got the impression from you that you thought I expected a lot more out of going off the rails than I actually did. <laughs> and so there's like, I, I got this perception of like a ton of resistance whenever I do something weird as if like... I expected this whole immersive landscape to be, like, pre-planned out there in some giant, you know, gazetteer that you've created for some setting, when I'm probably just off clowning around, or I've got, like, one random thing, or want, like, some particular little thing that I'm trying to accomplish, not to, like, derail what everyone else is doing, but just to note that I'm doing this thing while everyone else is doing this other thing. Part of the difficulty with Abena was, for me, was being so much more powerful than everybody else, being able to just travel with a thought wherever the fuck. I was damn near Dr. Manhattan, just kind of doing and going wherever I want with a lot of the same powers. And so, like, I often wanted to take advantage of that to go do things that would benefit the group, you know? But I wasn't looking for a whole, like, six hours over here focusing on the shit that I'm doing. I mean, I spent probably, what would you estimate, 20%, 25% of that game, like, literally not playing with the rest of the group because I'm, like, ghosting somewhere or something, or locked in a box or whatever the fuck mm -hmm. it was. There was all kinds of situations where I was fine to sit there and just listen to what other people were doing, but when I had the opportunity to, I was thinking from this character's perspective, all these people that I cared about... Given these powers, how could I best benefit what these people are trying to do? And I don't know if, uh, I wasn't trying to like hijack anything or like undermine anything. I was just trying to figure out a way to be useful with the tools that I had. And I, I got the impression from you that you felt like I was expecting a whole lot of shit to be like prepared specifically just for me when I really wasn't. So I don't know if that was your side of it, but that's what it felt like from here. Um, thank you very much for that. Um, I 
for for your interpretation of all that because uh, from my side of it, I'm not saying you're wrong. The frustration that I was expressing toward you was, I was worried that you were going to, that you were using this to basically circumvent the group's story for your own ends. Quite frankly, that's what I, I interpreted your actions to be uh, like a circumvention of groups of the group's activity undermining what the group was doing that's what i thought you were trying to do wow what did i do that gave you that impression like going to the locations where the different art like um where the different artifacts were rumored to be mm-hmm. um and like that's why i was so harsh on um basically p- trying to throw up roadblocks that you couldn't get past. You thought I was trying to, like, scoop it all up and yeah. be like, fuck you guys? Yep. That's, that's what I thought. That's no, what man, I was trying to scout. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember... I probably just shouldn't have joked around, because I remember joking around about, be, like, yeah, there's going to be a big reveal, you know, fucking Darth Talon at the end. I've got it all for me. But I was completely fucking joking. I mean, I played that guy as a pretty damn straight and narrow Jedi Kenobi. master the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, it was fun um, as a player to, like, have the temptation there. Because I would definitely hear, you know, the fucking devil in the back of my head. He could just fucking take this shit and run. I'm like, <laughs> that's hilarious. But, so, yeah, I was trying really hard to prevent you from doing that. from no. from From being this evil guy. Who just like swooped in and like became lord of the world? Oh man, you should have asked me if that's what I was trying to do. I, absolutely no. I was I was really wanting to like figure out a way to help these people out. And in a game like that, like I I've never played a game where I had such a imbalance between my character's ability and the rest of the group. And the only uh, analog that I could think of to to plug into was like Professor X. Professor X is not going to be the guy that's like the hero of everything. He's the dude that makes sure everybody else can do the heroic shit. And so that's that's what I was trying to pull off there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you were, you were definitely yeah, I can, I throwing up walls on me there. Yeah, I completely misinterpreted what you were wanting to do. <laughs> I never did anything <laughs> underhanded. <laughs> that character at all that was the most paladinly character i've probably ever played you just thought i was gonna be a shit and just flip it on everyone i did thanks man (laughs) that's a compliment as far as i'm concerned um the only i've been thinking the last couple minutes the only criticism i really have is I think sometimes you approach problem solving with just a, a sense of rigidness. And and the time, actually not so much in Abena, because um, I, I recognize that the Tomb of Horrors was one, something my character was not going to be good at, uh, and two, you didn't come up with that. You know, you were using a module that already existed. Um, but I actually think back a little bit to the Hunter game, in that I, I had a lot of fun in that game, but I did feel as though there were certain ways that like you had expected us to solve sort of the mysteries and the problems presented to us. Um, and that sometimes trying to go about them in a different way and a more unorthodox way, or in a way that like, I'll be honest, sometimes ideas come into my head that like neurons fire and like, there's a connection made that makes sense to me, but then I'll say it to someone else. They'll be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so 
I, I did feel occasionally in that game as though, like, I would, like, try a gambit, or, uh, I think this happened too with, like, Nita's, Nita's character would try a gambit, and we would just kind of be like, okay, that didn't work out quite how we thought it would be. And so, that's really the only criticism I can think of. Okay. Is maybe just occasionally, like, have a, have a first, sur- like, a for sure way to solve the problem, uh, but maybe, like, see if there's other little access ways people can, like, access into that main sort of problem-solving okay. method. Okay. Well, I don't have a big response to that because it's something I'm going to have to basically mull over and adjust, basically. That's fine. I'm glad you two talked about the the thing finally. <laughs> <laughs> um, the game was so weird from my perspective because it was just so outside the norm of what I'm used to. Every other game system I've ever played in has something built into it to make sure that there might be a range of power, but they're all within some kind of bar of possibilities. But in that game, like I felt like I was playing a different game than every other player in that game it, with a completely different rule set. It was fucking bizarre. Well, it was a completely different rule set because that was a homebrew way of doing magic in Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds magic is not like that. Well, I mean, whatever the magic system might have been, we didn't have any other casters. That True. There was, you know, Nina doing, like, healing magic, and that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when everyone's, like, fighters and rogues or whatever, and then this other person can fly and go through walls and teleport and what have you, like, yeah, it's a completely different thing. But yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. Like from a from an etiquette perspective, as a player, I've got this character. I've got all these abilities, and I want to get certain things done. And so I'm going to use these abilities to get these things done. But then, meanwhile, I'm seeing you getting super frustrated that you've got these like these scenarios designed for the group, which are normal people walking around with, you know, their weapons and their, you know, mundane human concerns. Meanwhile, I'm pretty much planes walking around doing what I want. I don't know. I probably, if I had it to do over again, I probably would have like retired that character and just handed it over as an NPC because it was just so far outside of what the rest of the group's well, if I had it, concerns had, were. If I had it to do over again, I would have just used the default Savage Worlds spell system. Mm-hmm. Or... I would have mandated that everyone in the party be a spellcaster. Mm-hmm. God, that would have been gonzo if everybody was able to do all that yeah. shit. <laughs> then yeah. we were all playing chess, yeah, not just checkers. <laughs> Did you still want feedback, Jordan? Yeah, absolutely. All right, I got, I got one for you, Jordan. Right, give it here. Um, ready. So, I think about uh, when I sort of look at how you play or run games. The, the sort of criticism I have is the worlds are populated, but don't necessarily feel populated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think back to the Factions game, which was a game which was almost entirely set in one place in a town. Mm-hmm. It was highly populated. Um, and I just, I didn't feel like we really had any, like, colorful characters there or anything that really, like, that was super memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, like even the, the, and this is not, if this sounds rough, I guess we're being brutally honest, but like, I don't even remember the names of the people that were like conspiring with the military against us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
Like, I remember a couple of the people in my own faction, but that was because, like, I was playing them more than anything else. Right. Um, and so, I guess that, that, I've, I've got, I have one for both of you, so I guess that's my big one, is sort of, I just, I, I feel like maybe a little more characterization could, like, be a good thing. That's one of the main things that I would have done differently, and when I'd run a, a scenario like that in, like, a, it was more of a Fallout world. Um, I ran like a Fallout Town game in a much earlier version of Apocalyptia. I had a bunch of NPCs statted out that, you know, this is the person that runs the general store, and here's the mayor, and whatever, and right. all that kind of stuff. But that game wasn't like this one, where the the players were just an adventuring party that used that as a base. They weren't movers and shakers at all. And mm-hmm. so when I, when I was first playing the thing out, I kind of intentionally didn't put other important people in the thing to try to give room for the group to like be those roles. But if I had it to do over again, after seeing how it went, I definitely would have populated it with more. I tried to offset it a little bit by having like, I don't remember the names either, but the military dudes, the, um, a couple of the people who were like revolutionaries, um, the corporate dudes, that stuff. I was trying to put in a few NPCs, but I think I aired too much on, trying to give too much of the spotlight and control of the settlement to the the players on that one. Also, I I just tend to kind of forget about NPCs a lot of times. I spend so much time trying to think about, like, what are the players going to be doing that I forget to do my part of, like, seeding yeah, some people to talk to. Yeah. I'm just, uh, like, role, I, I unfortunately coming into role-playing games for me was just steeped in, like, Roleplay heavy and PC heavy games, so mm-hmm. like that's just unfortunately that something that like I'm very used to, mm-hmm. you know. So maybe that's where it comes from for me. No, you're totally right though. If I had it to do over again, throw more people to talk to. Mine kind of takes that in a slightly different direction. It's just um, like I feel like you could really grow by stretching your ability to take on the persona of those particular NPCs. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to keep in. Yeah, mind. it God. is. I mean, I, I struggle with that too. Like, yeah. Just how do, how do you make sense? each NPC different? What did this guy know that the other guy didn't know? Like, what's this guy's name again? Yeah. You got to compartmentalize all these bubbles of experience that these mm-hmm. people had. It, I guess it's easier to do on a one shot, but when you're talking about like a campaign and didn't we talk to you about this six weeks ago? I don't know. <laughs> I know. Is this guy even in town? Who fucking knows? <laughs> Jesus, am I going to have to keep a timeline for every one of these fucking people? Mm -hmm. I I got, like, respect for GMs that can, like, because I, like, we talked about voices earlier. I don't know if that was on the recording or not, but... um, We'll assume it was. Well, yeah, if it was, if it wasn't, uh, we were talking about (laughs) voices. We've mentioned it before on the podcast. And, like, I can do, like I said, I can do a couple, but I got a lot of respect for people that, like, have a unique voice for most NPCs. And, like, Mm -hmm. if I have, like, for example, and this is bad, but, like, if I have multiple female characters, you know, I'm going with, like, my generic female NPC voice for most of them, you know, and they're like, who am I talking to right now? And I'll be like, well, it's one of them, probably. Well met, good sir. Well met, good sir. Yeah, that's that's about it. You have your high pitch, and then you have your Monty Python high pitch moment. Yeah. You know, and you have all the, like, gruff-sounding guys that talk like this. And you're like, am I just talking to Batman? Like, <laughs> what is happening right now? Christian Bale, is that you? Yeah, NPCs have always been a weak spot for me. 
I remember one time I ran a game, I can't remember what the setting was, but I had a co-DM for it, and I had that person play all the NPCs while I was running the shit, and I would talk to this dude about, like, you know, here's what this guy's about, here's what I'd like this dude to do this session, whatever, and then I would just kind of let them know, and this dude sat there with, like, a stack of character sheets, and would go through whatever to play a certain thing. That made things so much fucking easier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, take the, the dice rolling load off of me for for a lot of it. And, you know, he he wouldn't do anything crazy. He'd just do exactly, you know, the kinds of things I would say and then throw in a few, like, personal flourish things. That was best case scenario for me. Was he doing, like, party NPCs and antagonists? No, or no, was no. he just he was doing just, all of them? He was, if it was, like, a combat situation, he would do... Um, he would play as some antagonists if there was, like, something important. I'd go through, like, you know, the, the normal scrub guys or whatever, just keeping track on a sheet of paper or whatever. But if there was, like, you know, big badass dude that shows up, that guy would be in control of them. Or if there was, you know, random NPCs that were tagging along with the group and I didn't need somebody to do the um, do the villains, then I'd hand it over for that. Right. Um, that game... In four or five sessions or something, but that was that was much easier than trying to fucking juggle story and rules and all these NPCs. Yeah. Blah blah blah. That's just that, overwhelming. That sounds like it would be awesome for doling out information because then you you give the other person the information that they need to convey. You don't have to worry about slipping up and giving more information than that person knows, mm-hmm. more information than what you've prepared for. So prepared for the player characters to have in the story because you don't want to accidentally slip that that the dude that they've been talking to all this time is a vampire but if you're going to be talking as the character you're it's i mean i've had information like that just slip out i've accidentally spoiled who the big big bad guy of the campaign was whenever that person has been a behind the scenes manipulator the whole time yeah and then all of a sudden they know and then every action that they do is pertaining to bringing that person down when there is no other reason why they should know that person is <laughs> them. It's tough to ask that of a, of a player though. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have the, you don't have all the, the power and creativity yeah. being the DM. You don't have the personal agency of having your character that you're growing. You're just there as an assistant. So it's kind of a lot to ask of a player. Have you got like, a buddy that's trying to become like a voice actor or something that mm-hmm. might not be a bad role for them, you know, like someone that can just like, I want to do this as a career. I need to practice or someone that just enjoys doing voices. I, you know, it'd be a great role for somebody who really wants to learn to DM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a good, it's a good stepping stone into the actual role too. Yeah. Criticism's fully accepted and acknowledged. You just stop. You know what? Games, Jordan. Like, know. you know what? I'm going just... to go tie a noose. <laughs> if you ever wanted to do that, I would be happy to do that for as the as the person doing all the NPCs, because then I could work on my ability to take on those different personas. I can devote an entire game campaign to that ability to take on new NPC personas. Oh, you'd be a great one to do it. All right. I'm, I'm signing you up. All right, that's what we'll do. Next game I run, we'll cool. do it. I feel like I've just been at like the founding of like a, a country, <laughs> <laughs> like just a unity, unions mm-hmm. formed. What else? Do we got anything else? I had one more for you, Jordan. I said it before we started recording. Was it? You need to speak up. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I won't need to do that if I have an NPC. True. Good <laughs> <laughs> Christ. I don't know how to improve on that. This is it's hard overcoming your natural. Like I'm, like I'm, I yell pretty much all the time. It so. really does sometimes have the utility of making people shut the fuck up and stop talking about bullshit. But you have to have a, a story that they're to some degree engaged with for that to work at all. People are much less likely, if they think they're going to miss something important to them, to be chattering about some nonsense if they know that, yeah, listen close, because this dude's just going to mumble some shit. And... Yeah. I meant more like my natural speaking voice is like yelling and loud. And that works well in groups. We've kind of talked about this where everyone's yelling over each other. I can very easily be the loudest person in the room. I like absolutely need to be. That works out well there, but you know, this sucks for the people that like aren't naturally loud, I guess. Well, if, if you and I both felt we needed to be the loudest person in the room at the same time, oh, though, God. who would win? I, probably you. <laughs> I've, I've heard you go up just quite, quite a couple decibel levels. Yeah. I guess if we have any other criticisms, we can always just bitch at each other around the table later. Alright guys, what do you say we stop all this bullshit and start rolling some dice? I'd love to. This has been a production of Alien Familiar Media. You can find past episodes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. This production is protected under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, attribution, no derivatives license. Music for this episode is Suburban Outlaw by Forget the Whale and can be found at freemusicarchive.org.